Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And today I'm joined by a special guest that is no stranger to the Jew 3 Project. He's been on here several times. Um, and, you know, I think he thinks he kind of co-owns it. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Emisho Baraka Lewis. Welcome, show Baraka. Thank you. I do feel like uh, I should have some sort of... Uh... I don't know royalties if you will i should get some sort of percentage but uh i'm glad to see you continue expanding to see the lord blessing the, uh, your platform so amen thank you as i said before we start recording you you've been on this show several times uh back when we just had audio then you were on when it was just me shooting uh in the non-studio and, and now I look here. at you and now look at you Ooh. showing off my, I'm I'm up I'm up here looking like uh, a bubble TV in the in the late '90s, and you up here with the the crispy the crispy screen shooting Stacks Asian. from the bottom. Yeah, look, I've, I've, if only the Lord gave us the favor that you got, then we would just be in a better place. I mean, you got a book. That's what we're talking about. He saw, y'all see it. He saw yeah. that it was good. I don't usually put the books up of people. Um, but you, it's hard to resist that beautiful face. It's hard to resist I just, that beautiful because cover. Because it's you, show. I just, you know, as I say, you used to be my favorite rapper. Um, so I That's met the you. And That's then... the side post right there. He's getting... <laughs> <laughs> I love show Baraka. That's why he's here again. We're going to talk about his book. Uh, again, he saw that it was good. Show, uh, for those who don't know who you are, which I don't know how they wouldn't, you're like a right there at the sea level celebrity so <laughs> you're not lying it's c minus for, for those who don't know who you are just give them a little bit of background about about yourself the word i've been using recently is a polymath and so hmm. i um i am an individual who dabbles in many things i some people early in my uh i guess you can say my recognition People knew me as a hip hop artist. Um, then I kind of moved towards being a, a guy who did film acting. Um, not too many people know me from that though, because a lot of the movies I was in was terrible. Um, <laughs> Can you send me those? I want to see it. <laughs> no, because you have a habit of shaming me when I when I'm. You know, you think friendship is about sharing moments of weakness and authenticity. And then the people build you up after you share those moments. However, <laughs> you have this particular gift of the Holy Spirit to just use those moments of weakness against people. And so uh, I will know. I, I will was, not tell I you. I was listening to Higher Love yesterday. And I said, this is Joe Baraka. 
This is good. That's good stuff. That's the song yeah. I'm proud of. There's some other songs that you use against me that I'm like, okay. I'm know? not even gonna bring them up here right, because we're so gonna focus on your good good work. Anyway, so <laughs> film, music video work, uh, did a lot of production for folks. Uh, the Man Up movie that uh, Reach Records uh, put out around the album Man Up directed and wrote that. Um, like I say, that I've grown as a director and writer since then. But anyway, neither here nor there. Also kind of moved into a lot of, uh, I guess you can say the activism advocate academic space uh, mm-hmm. because of some of my music work, although I don't like to call myself an activist. Uh, um, uh, started an organization called the Ant Campaign with Justin Giveney and Angel Maldonado. Um, now I do a lot of teaching, taught at Wake Forest Divinity School, um, and you know, I'm here talking about a book that I've written. I feel like I've left something out, but you know, um, yeah, man, married for 18 years now, have three children, two of my kids are on the autism spectrum. So that's a, that's also been a part of my advocacy and being a autism father, if you will, autism dad. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, yeah, man, I, um, there's a, the Lord has used me in many different spaces and it's interesting because you there are people who only know me from my advocacy with autism there are people who only know me because i'm a rapper or and there are people who know me because i've written an article for this particular institution or i spoke here and they're like oh i didn't even know you were a rapper so um it's it's pretty intense sometimes how uh people engage me i did a commercial i did a <laughs> i did a commercial for chick-fil-a that only circulated amongst Chick-fil-A staff. Mm. And uh, it's hilarious how times I'll, I'll walk into a Chick-fil-A and somebody will look at me like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, the, you're the task force nugget guy. So yeah. we're just, the beautiful thing is that no <laughs> civilians outside of Chick-fil-A will never see that. So, but yeah, it's just stuff like that. That's awesome. Can you ask Chick-fil-A uh, why we don't have the sauces? <laughs> they have what a sauce, sauce shortage. They have a sauce so- shortage, so you can only get one sauce per item now at Chick-fil-A. Oh, because of yeah. the shortage. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I, 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 I mean, you have strange. The, the, the connect. They said it's a nationwide something's in their supply chain. Uh, they got yeah. a, kink, a chink in their armor because that's the well, I'm gonna tell you, the sauce. You, Facts. I mean, there's no point of getting fries unless you get like the Polynesian or the Chick-fil-A. Like, that stuff is part of the meal. And I'm going to need you to give me more than one. So sometimes what my family would do, because I don't really eat Chick-fil-A a lot, but my family eats Chick-fil-A all the time. Mm-hmm. So if you get like a sandwich, instead of getting like ketchup, you get like Polynesian for that and then get like the fries to get Polynesian for that. And then now you have two Polynesians for your fries. You know what I'm saying? Mm, so okay, you just got to so cheat the system. Rig. Yeah, you got to okay, cheat the I system. It. I got it. Thank you. I mean, you're just helpful in so many ways, show. That's one here. Yeah. Now you can add to my list of things that I do as a Chick-fil-A connoisseur. Yeah, I appreciate or that. Or apologist, if you will. <laughs> well, you wrote a book. He saw that it was good. You're officially author now, which I felt like you were author before. Do they include like articles as authorship but well i've written forwards for people and i've contributed to books so they they do consider that authorship okay and so i'm an author too yeah thank you for letting me know definitely so look when they told me that i can call myself a professor by being a visiting like you know professor for a semester at 
universities. I was like, oh, I'm forever a professor now. You can never tell me that I'm not a professor. Yeah. Even if so. I just teach one semester, two semesters, I am a professor for the rest of my life. You're winning. Professor Shobaraka. That's what I'm going to call you, you next time I see you. Professor. Um, <laughs> so what was the motivation? Why did you want to write He Saw That It Was Good? I like the title, too, by the way. Thank you And the cover. Much. Dope. Thank you. Um, there's going to be a whole lot of tangents happening on this on this interview. So just be ready and be prepared. But uh, I've always wanted to write a book. Um, I think I've, you know, I went to Tuskegee University. I was introduced to a lot of history and um, thought and thinking that just expanded my worldview. And from there, I think while I was in college, I just knew I wanted to enter into it at the academic space. And one of the things about entering into the academic space, even if it was like later in my life, you, you have to write, you know what I mean? You have to mm -hmm. contribute to uh, schools of thought. And so at that point, I knew I wanted to write something. I didn't know what it was going to be about. So I've always had this, this, this one foot in this idea of uh, writing. However, as I evolved, I, I learned that I have a greater affection for fiction. Mm. Being, intro being introduced to just the, you know, Chinua Achebe's, the Toni Morrison's, the Zora Neale Hurston's, just the people that I love reading, um, the Joyce's, you know, Flannery O'Connor's. And so I... Um, thought that my first book was actually going to be fiction. Um, what I come to find out is once you sign an agent, uh, which you sign with an agent, and once publishers start, start engaging you, it's not really about what you want to write sometimes. It's about what <laughs> the what publishers, exactly, what the publishers are willing to pay you to write. And so mm -hmm. you can always self-publish, but ain't nobody going to pay you to self-publish. I mean, ain't nobody mm -hmm. going to pay you to do sometimes what you want to write about um, unless mm -hmm. you convince them that this is something that they can make money off of and sell. So what I wanted to do was write something that just, that just wasn't about race, that, that just wasn't about justice, that just wasn't about art and faith. I wanted to say, man, what are the things that interest me? One of my favorite writers is Malcolm Gladwell. And oftentimes what he does is he takes these anecdotes or these stories and he, he, he positions them like these different kind of stories and anecdotes throughout the book but basically, he's trying to drive home one central thing. And uh, he muses, if you will. And one of the things that I wanted to do was do something similar. Because like this book, as someone said, I am all over the place, but somehow it works. You know what I'm saying? Mm. <laughs> and this book, in a way, I, I hate to say that because I don't want to discourage people from reading it. Because I do think it's a very poignant, important piece of, of work. That it, it can feel like it's in many different places. But the central theme of it really hits home. It's like, who are you? What, what helps shape your identity as far as your contribution to this world? How are you working? How are you creating to continue to either bring flourishing or oftentimes when we are lethargic and when we're, um, <clears throat> when we're apathetic and... Uh, kind of detached from the intention of our work, then we can also create detriment without mm. really knowing it. And so what I wanted to do is to use history, to use movements, to use individuals and theology to tell a story of how our creation, and that's not just art, that's, that's not just artists, that's all people, we all participate in the cultivating of society, how our work, how our intention 
can oftentimes bring flourishing or can oftentimes bring detriment. And how do you recognize when you are bringing detriment? And so uh, I just, when I told the author, I mean, the editors, uh, the publishers and the agency that I was like, yeah, this is where I'm thinking I was going. They were excited. But the one thing I knew that I wanted to do was not just talk about how to use your creative life and not display it. And that's why I wrote fiction pieces or poems throughout the, or fiction pieces, short stories, and poems and parables into the book. Um, and I wrote those pieces. Oftentimes people ask me, did I write them? Or did I find them in some sort of, um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Galaxy far, far away. Yeah, something, or some, <laughs> some uh, what's the word they say? Uh, copy, not copyright, but it's like fair usage. Uh, no, I wrote, I actually wrote every thing that, is communicated on those pages. So that's what made me want to write, man. I um, I just wanted to get these ideas out and I felt like it was the time to do that as I still also see myself writing music less and mm -hmm. traveling less and performing less. And it's like, I am a, an artist and a thinker and this, and this is a, a wonderful way to do that. Quick side note, I really hope that this book also encourages more writer, uh, more artists, rappers, to write more because I feel like, mm. and not just uh, nonfiction, but fiction or creative piece. Cause I feel like that's a natural transition for writers, for rappers. Um, you're already, you use all the same literary devices that typical fiction writers use. You use metaphor, use allegory, use uh, uh, alliteration. You use all these different, you know, double entendres, whatever, um, translate and transition that to literature, I think it'll be a wonderful opportunity to expand the careers of a lot of these rappers. Mm -hmm. That's dope, uh, show. And you've been consistently calling people to to honor God with their calling um, before this uh, in your uh, album "Lions and Liars." I think there's a song where you talk about different people using their calling to glorify God. I can't remember what the lions song anthem. The okay. lions, the lions anthem. Yep. Yeah. So this is consistent with who you've been for most of your career, or yeah. I would say the entirety of your career. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite? I'm looking at the table of contents now uh -huh. uh, because I have the, yeah. I put the book down. So anybody wanted, if it, they were watching, hey, don't worry, know what don't worry. I, just, I, got, I got one they can see <laughs> while we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I like how you got it split it up, split up mm -hmm. the highest divine, where's prudence? Um, a lecture from the margins, a, the man, the moon man, um, my hood USA and you, uh, well, that's it. Yeah, so those are the breakups. Yeah. Why, why did you choose to break it up that way? I, I, each interlude is in correspondence with a chapter. So I wanted to start it off with highest divine because I felt like that set the framework for how I hope that we would view our work. Uh, not to ruin the story, but there's an artist who is commissioned to do something, to paint a picture of the highest divine or to paint mm -hmm. a piece of, of of work of the highest divine. And so the ultimate goal is to put us in the position of this artist to show us how are we painting God? Mm. And uh, that was actually going to be the that that's what I was trying to petition to be the title of the book, but they were like, "Nah, let's go." What he saw that it was good because I gave them options. I was like, "Well, what about this?" this is a... So, 
I as you as you move through the book, it's like, how do you paint God? Because the reality is, is you're painting something, or you're telling the truth about how you believe or what you believe about God. Um, either that, or you're painting somebody else's understanding of what they view about God. And so, mm-hmm. um, so then, like the next story is where is prudence, and that's connected to work. So each chapter is telling a strong theme about something. So chapter one is storytelling and identity formation. Chapter two is work like a theology of work chapter three is a is a uh is an observation of justice and how justice has been tied to black christianity uh our legacy of black christian tradition um and then chapter four is talking about the uh difference and gentrification of thought and gentrification of christianity but also how different people can still have the same goal but operate differently chapter five is what does it look like to be orphans in this idea of the movement of justice and and operate from within the palace or operate outside the palace um and chapter six is how do we engage darkness how do we engage the world and then chapter seven is like an assessment and so within that these interludes are tied to some of these communications that uh, are some of these themes that the chapter is dealing with so whereas mm-hmm. prudence is dealing with work uh, from uh, the margins, the lectures for the margins is dealing with our idea of how we view people who are of a different social status than us. Mm-hmm. Um, the moon man is is how do we view ourselves in light of other people's formation of us, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably one of my favorite stories. Um, and then My Hood USA deals with this idea of gentrification and mm-hmm. and uh, gentrification not only of just place, but also gentrification of ideas in theology. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. Uh, One thing I like that you did in the introduction, and I want to read it, um, I dare not make any false equivalents, but I also must recognize that some of my favorite thinkers can be shided for their shadows. Um, I think that's powerful to include that because when we have heroes, um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. often we could get stuck on their successes and over glance over their failures and Mm. then when you say this is my hero to someone else they're like the first thing they know the hero for may be a negative and so you acknowledging gk chesterson's faults mlk faults alexander crumble faults um i think yeah du bois and and du bois as well yeah yeah it it, i think it's helpful because it humanizes our heroes because there is no perfect hero but christ Amen. And is is this not the what we've been trying to do with the Confederacy and kind of Puritan theologians for the longest of times? It's like, hey, I understand that you guys think these individuals are laudable characters, but let's recognize their faults as well. And mm-hmm. it'll be hypocritical for me to be to do this, like to 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 <laughs> prop up Du Bois as this amazing thinker hero sociologist while at the same time ignoring the the fact that this man supported stalin and and even after stalin committed all these war crimes and then he wrote this glowing eulogy about him so it's like we got to admit that our heroes have shadows and in a sense that's part of the the posture of this book um and you talk about this oftentimes uh i think it's a, a humility in I don't know, a, a humble hermeneutics, I think this is the word you use yeah. oftentimes. And I think about that as like, not only a humble hermeneutics, but a humble disposition. Like 
when you come to the, when you come to a debate or discussion or to the table believing that you have everything solved, everything mm-hmm. right, and then you bring anger with that, you can do great harm. That's mm-hmm. how movements happen. Like that's how movements happen, and oftentimes when the movement wins and they become the oppressor, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, it's a lot of bloodshed, like you like you noted. Exactly, and so uh, I think in the fact in the fight for justice, in the fight for being a revolutionary, also understand that you you may be wielding um, your weapon in, improperly, is mm-hmm. is and just make sure you have a humble disposition. That doesn't mean you can't fight. That doesn't mean that you can't be angry, but just understand that you move and operate with with great meekness and power. Yeah. Um, in, in the you look good in red chapter you say something um, or or you quote something uh, why does history always have to start with slavery <laughs> and I think that's what I've been really trying to get people to see that black history doesn't start with slavery on, uh, that's man. a part of Jew3's identity to show yeah. the richness of our history uh, even beyond slavery and Absolutely. I think so much of the conversation gets stuck here and uh, as if we're not, obviously we have to acknowledge and talk about the ways in which slavery and oppression and systems still affect us today. Mm -hmm. But a part of overcoming that is also seeing our beauty beyond that. And uh, is that I'm sure that was part of the reason why that was important for you to to include that. Absolutely. So I I quoted my, (laughs) it's funny, the song's called Kanye Rant. I quoted myself like I was Kanye in my (laughs) book. So I quoted my song Kanye rant in my book. So it was a very Kanye moment. It was kind of like this weird, like, I don't know, the uh, eight dimension kind of situation. <laughs> However, the, <laughs> the point of it was, yeah, I, I praise God for organizations like yourself. Um, and I think people like Dr. Vince Bantu, uh, you know, uh, Brother Daniels, I uh, think about what Eric Mason has done just recently with the Urban Apologetics book with Jerome Gay is going to be doing with his book coming out. It's the reality of it is, is for far too long, we've allowed not only just black history, but especially Christian history in this country to start with this legacy of oppression. And that mm-hmm. shapes and does something to your psyche. Not only does it do something to your psyche, it does something to how you love and how you, um, what you believe and how you move and operate. Um, mm-hmm. You automatically think yourself to be inferior. Um, mm-hmm. And so you measure what you love, how you how you operate and what you do in light of this particular identity. And it's important for us to start before then um, and to have a proper view of what slavery was, what what, what it was like on the continent of Africa, uh, what our identities were like on the continent of Africa. Oftentimes we talk about we's kings and queens, you know what I'm saying, in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, there were some kings and queens. Like everybody wasn't kings and queens. Some of us, some of us were servants. What's up, king? <laughs> what's up? What's up, God? You know what I mean? It's like, look, man. Um, value our identities because it is something that God has given. Um, it's it's something that is quite important. It is something that is of the utmost important for us to understand who we were before the manipulation and the psychological warfare of slavery, the physical and the psychological warfare of slavery. Um, but uh, have an honest understanding of who we were there too, have an have a, have a understanding of who we are now. Um, and especially uh, if we're talking about a Christian history, shame the whitewashing of Christianity in Europe 
of mm-hmm. shame, shame it. Shame, yeah, shame is a good word. I, I, I'll, I'll say shame. Shame it. Understand it that it's un, it's 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 been somewhat helpful the European, but it also is very incomplete. And oftentimes mm-hmm. that's intentional. Um, and as we learn more about how Christianity was shaped in Africa, also let's learn how that Christianity helped not only it just didn't uh, Christianity just didn't oppress people in this country it also helped liberate people in this country and Mm -hmm. so it's important to not only not start our history with slavery but it's also when we talk about slavery how do we have a more comprehensive understanding of what christianity did not only as a complicit agent in the oppression of people but also a complicit agent in the freedom and liberation of people here in this country so it's it's for me it's everything. It's everything not to start my uh, my identity with slavery. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. to see myself as oppressed, which is a very, very, very controversial statement to make today and to move and operate in. But I don't see myself as, as somebody who is oppressed now. I do recognize that there is oppression. I do recognize that there are people who uh, operate in great disparities and um, and have great obstacles. But I think when you see yourself as an individual who is identified by oppression, then you create these limitations that I think are, 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 are restrictive. You already have told yourself that you can only do so much and go so far. Um, and you take on a disease that is not meant for you. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't speak to the disease, that you don't care about the disease that other people have which is the oppressors or the people who who continue this idea of oppression, but that is not your disease, you know what I'm saying? And I've, I am very careful, and I think there's, there's been a lot of art recently, and I think the underground, uh, um, Colston's book that, was, that Barry Jenkins turned into a, uh, a series of, uh, of, of films recently on Prime, Vir- Prime Video was very, intentional about how they told this story of of slavery i am very mindful of how i talk to my kids or when i talk publicly about like how to how not to traumatize people today with the with the weight of something that our ancestors fought with great resilience and came out on the other side with great hope and joy if you will Uh, Mm -hmm. that doesn't make it less real that doesn't say that we shouldn't have uh, we should erase it from our history and by no means am I saying this. I'm not talking about being revisionist in any way. I'm not talking about erasure. What I'm saying is oftentimes I think we can take on the unnecessary pressures of particular things. The un- the unnecessary are the detrimental narratives, if you will, of things that God has given us some victory in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's extremely helpful Um, I want to shift gears a little bit to your chapter on good call. And you say something that I think is helpful because when we think about honoring God with our work, people look and say, Lisa, you're honoring God with your work because Mm -hmm. directly they could see the ministry intertwined with it. Mm -hmm. They see you, they say, of you've been honoring God with your work throughout your career. Mm -hmm. But when they go to work, they don't see it as God honoring. So in, in the good call, you said, when we work, we should have the conviction behind every swing of the hammer, even if that conviction is as simple as faithfulness to the call, to the call Christ has given us to help remake the world. 
And I think that's so important because yeah. that separation is is stark. People don't think they're doing ministry unless they're at church or Amen. they're doing something directly connected to God. Amen. So I think that is helpful for people to reorient their work. Yeah. Um, you, you I just, yeah. So one of the things I try not to do, and I, and I have no problem with other people using this word because it's, it's a real word. It's helpful. It's beneficial. But ministry in itself, it can oftentimes feel like that is only for vo- people who work in the vocation of Christianity, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I just like to look at worship. I say, and I, and I think oftentimes I, in the book I say worship, understand that God created us to worship him. And, our, and as Romans 12 talks about, our, um, our daily sacrifice is to die, and, or um, the renewing of our mind and the constant offering up of our, bi- our bodies as a living sacrifice is a daily worship. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so the fact that you wake up and you swing a hammer or that you you balance spreadsheets or that you are helping people get loans or you are doing justified, like just loans, you know what I mean? Or you're an educator. That's worship as unto, unto the Lord. And we have to see it as worship and operate as if it's worship. And in that sense, take it further to use the word that you said. It's like it's ministry. You are mm-hmm. ministering in some sort of way. Um, and you don't have to, your work doesn't have to be tied to some social good in order for it to be good or to be changing the world. Like the fact that you are, and I, I love using the, the idea of swinging a hammer. Like the fact that you swing a hammer is building something. That means you're contributing mm-hmm. to the construction of something. Now, hopefully you understand why you're swinging that hammer. Because at the end of the day, if you have no conviction behind the swinging of the hammer, then you're swinging for somebody else's convictions. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, this is how gentrification happens, if you will, since we're staying in the building and architecture space, or to stay in the building and architecture space. Um, You can be a a contractor, and you're building houses, and you're, you're, you're helping people bring value to their particular property and neighborhood, but at the same time, you can be creating displacement. Um, and you're just getting a check because you're like, you know what? I'm just doing this just to get a check and I'm providing for my family, which is good. You need to do that. However, at the end of the day, you see that this neighborhood is totally changed. Now the people who are here are displaced and moved out and you're like feeling bad about that. It was like, you could have had something, you could have done something about that. You could have mm-hmm. figured out and what am I doing? How can I contribute to the blessing of this particular community rather than the displacing? And so in mm-hmm. every work and everything we do, we should be looking at need rather than just the flippantly laissez-faire, let things work itself out. Because um, when you're intentional about how you operate, then you're you're putting, you're, you're, you're weighing every decision um, under the auspices of Christ. And you're saying, Jesus, why, why should I swing this hammer? Why, why should I teach at this school? Why should I even perform at this particular event? Like, should I write this lyric? Should I shoot this movie? Because um, when you do that, then you're, you're, you're thinking deeply about every decision. Should I partner with this person? You know, should I take this check? Because at the end of the day, the taking of the check, the partnering with that person, the writing that lyric, the, the swinging of the hammer, it's going to create some sort of like idea or it's going mm-hmm. to create some sort of Oedipus that is going to have a reflection on how we painted God and what we believed about God. And so, therefore, uh, I think understanding 
that type of that type of calling and understanding that you your work is worship unto the Lord is of the utmost importance. Mm -hmm. That's good because that leads me to my next question. And in good folks, this when you're talking about good folks disagree too. Uh, you said the creative life isn't just relegated to our artistic expressions. Our lives are in themselves creative. And you kind of alluded to that in what you just said, because yeah. it's like, I don't think of myself as an artist, uh, uh, <laughs> but right. it kind of reorients, uh, reorients us to think about it different. Even if you're using a hammer, as you right. said, and you're building something, it is a form of art. Like absolutely, I think what you're doing in this book is you're tearing down the barriers in which people see. Um, uh, if they've created these boxes, and you're like, no, like if you remove the walls, you understand that this stuff is bleeding over, and there's an intersection here absolutely. that we often miss. Am I absolutely. am I getting that right? You're absolutely right. I think there are you know there's obviously there's obviously a difference between professional artists and people who. Um, who create you create <laughs> you create conversations <laughs> you courageous conversations if we're <laughs> boom you see what i just did there yeah um, you create you create conversations which is a form of creating which is an is an art it takes an art to get people to sit down especially people of different particular ideologies to sit down and have a com a civil conversation you create space for people to uh come and share ideas and thought and so you may not be a professional artist or an artist in a technical sense, but you are creating, you're c contributing. And the reason why I wanted to tear those walls down is because in Genesis, we see how we are a reflection of God and his creating. And so as he has given us this command in the la latter part of Genesis 1 to create and cultivate, then you have to understand that we are creating stuff. We are creating institutions, we're creating ideas, we create culture, and those things impact. If Satan has tricked us in order to invert the true nature and tension of that creating, whether it be institutions, systems, ideas, and culture, then Jesus is calling us to redeem those things uh, as an act of restitution unto God, right? Mm -hmm. And so because of that, Everything we do should be an, a, a, a task of redemption because I am trying to not just, uh, Jesus didn't just redeem my, my relationship with God so that I can just sit and wait for myself to die and go to heaven. Mm -hmm. He's also redeemed my relationship with you and other people and how I interact with people. But also he, he redeemed how I create and cultivate. Mm -hmm. And so therefore he's redeeming every comprehensive part of me mm -hmm. and i think that's an aspect of our theology that is, is that has been lost and so if we all see ourselves as contributing to the creating of society then we all see ourselves as being complicit in the in the blessing or the flur the flourishing or the detriment of this particular institution system or society that's good show um i don't want to give the whole book away uh but <laughs> oh, there's so much that's, more good stuff. Yeah, there's so, so much. Hey, first I of all, I haven't even scratched the surface <laughs> of of all the stuff in, yeah. in the book. But for those who we want everybody to get the book, oh, he saw that it was good. Um, but what other thing in the book that you want to highlight that we haven't talked about that you like? Man, they need to know this uh, before we close out. No, you know what's funny is you're the first interview, and I've done. I look, I've probably done twenty something, thirty interviews. I don't know. You're probably the first interview 
that's actually asked me about the um, ask me about the interludes and the the fiction pieces. Um, I am. That's a part of the book that I. I I'm not gonna say I'm the most excited about. Mm-hmm. That's a part of the book that I'm very excited about because I do feel like everybody in not every m- most of us in the world enjoys some form of detached reality. So that be music, fiction, films, mm-hmm. or literature, films. Um, I don't know, you know, video games. Mm-hmm. Like the world envoy, en- enjoys fantasy and escapism. And I, and I think even though um, I am communicating, I think some interesting ideas in these these interludes. Um, I think the just the enjoyment and entertainment value of it. I, I I try to, yeah. I just try to I just try to not only create something that was entertaining, but also something that people can pull from it and and have conversations about and wrestle with like what is he what is he trying to what is he trying to say here because there's so much in fiction that i think you can say without saying um mm-hmm. the positioning of people the way people say things uh the scenery uh the responses it's just so much there's just so much truth and i think there's also aspects of fiction that disarms us it gives us a chance to wrestle with things that we probably wouldn't wrestle with before. Yeah. And I think storytelling is a beautiful way, narrative parables mm-hmm. to introduce hard concepts. Yeah. Cause I, I like to think it's coming in through the back door instead yeah. of coming in through the front door. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that disarming, I think is so necessary because we are so polarized that yeah. people need to hear a story. I will often think about like David and Nathan, David, and Nathan already have a pre-existing relationship. Mm-hmm. But even though they have a pre-existing relationship, Nathan doesn't just go straight for the kill and say, you're the man. He tells a story to disarm yeah. him. Absolutely. Um, even Fact. with a pre-existing relationship. Fact. And so how much more when we don't have pre-existing relationships with people, do we need to disarm them in conversation Absolutely. to tell them hard truths? Yeah. And so I think that is a creative way um, to to tell hard truth, and I'm I'm glad you did that, which is true to to form because you have interludes throughout your albums too, so it yeah, makes sense absolutely. to have them throughout your books. So thank you for making this this work, and I'm sure it will bless people. How can they get this work, and how can people connect with you on social? They can get this book uh, anywhere books are sold. Audio audio book. Um, you can get the audible. You know the audio books on Audible. You can get on uh, Apple Books all those places wonderful you can buy it from brick and mortar spaces you can buy it online at amazon's and you know my website barakaology has all the links that you can you can purchase it on but you can find me on these social media streets on facebook twitter and instagram at a-m-i-s-h-o-b-a-r-a-k-a amisho baraka awesome well this episode has been well this episode has been sponsored uh, by Athletes in Action. Thank you for our partners at Athletes in Action for sponsoring another G3 Project episode. And as always, you can catch all of our past episodes. I'm an athlete. I'm an athlete in action right here. I just want to grab my. <laughs> I want to get my. I got a. <laughs> I got a little hoop right here at my uh, at my door, and so I was, you know, I was gonna take a little J for you just for the sponsorship. <laughs> 
I mean, that works too. <laughs> I know she was like, where does brother go? Where he? <laughs> go ahead. I was confused for a second. I was like, did he fall? <laughs> like, <laughs> We fall down, but we get up. <laughs> well, thank you, Shell, for for joining us. Make sure y'all get his book. Uh, he saw that it was good. Great, great work here. Um, several people endorsed it. Um, someone named Lisa Fields endorsed it. So somebody so. named Lisa Fields endorsed <laughs> the book. Thank you for that endorsement, Lisa. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, Shell. Uh, thank you all for watching another episode of the Jude Three Project podcast. As always, you can catch all our past episodes wherever you stream your favorite podcast or YouTube or our website, Jude3Project.org. You can become a monthly partner um, of Jude Three Project by going to Jude Three Project and hitting the donate tab. You could give online or you can send in that check in the mail we appreciate you you can get our curriculum through eyes of color take an online course get some merch too all at jew3project.org remember here at the jew3 project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it until next time grace and peace and god bless thank you so much for listening to another episode of the jew3 project podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode you can tune into all our past episodes at www.ju3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.